I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. To explore strange new worlds. To seek out new life and new civilizations. To boldly go where no man has gone before. Lock up your sons. The fangirls are busting out all over. It's Fangirl Radio. Fangirl Radio. the fangirls on jackalope radio hi everybody and welcome to the latest and greatest episode of the fangirl radio show i am your host jessica dwyer and with me tonight are my cohorts in crime rachel moore yo and ren willox hello so tonight's episode is um, we're—it's a discussion episode, and uh, we are going to be talking about literary adaptations in film and television. Now we've covered this topic slightly in the past, um, but in this episode, there is a lot going on in the world of TV and film that is based on pre-existing works. And our discussion tonight is going to be about um, the pros and cons of these adaptations and. Uh, there's a lot of it going on, as I said, um, especially in um, actually in the world of TV, which is kind of interesting. Uh, and then later this year, of course, we have The Hobbit, and not to mention all of the other uh, you know, previous incarnations of works like Dracula and you know Legend of the Seeker, Jane Eyre. All of these are based on pre-existing works in in the realm of literature, and it's. It's an interesting t- uh, to talk to people and find out what they think is the better version, the book or the film or the TV show. Or the remake or, of the film. Totally or the remake or what have you. So um, let's get into the Week in Geek, though, because this all kind of ties in together. But I'm going to let uh, Rachel go first because I think she's got something that is not... Um, part of our discussion tonight so i'm all end up <laughs> no 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 there's, a, there's completely a, crazy so we'll just get her out of the way first <laughs> mine's not mine's a, not related either no so no and that's why i want to end <laughs> on what mine is because then we can yeah, go segue right geek, in my weekend geek is really um kind of nerdy and kind of crafty all at once there's a new company called makey's and you can get there at makey m-a-k-i-e dot m-e Makey.me. And what they are is it's a com- start, little startup company that um, you get on and kind of des- design your avatar however you want. You can do nose, size, and placement, pointy ears, not pointy ears, color of eyes, hair. And then um, when you're finished, they will print it out for you into a 3D doll. And uh, currently... It's still fairly limited. They haven't gotten to skin colors right now, which is fine if you're making elves or vampires because they're really, really pale. Um, And they're just starting in with the wardrobe, so the wardrobe isn't there. But it really appeals to people who um, are into, say, the Blythe dolls or any of those pull-up dolls. Um, And they're extremely fun to make you can make as many styles as you want and just save them and you have the option they're a uk company uh they're affiliated with someone in boing boing the boing boing site but uh you can also price what they would be to make in us dollars or british pounds and they are pricey right now but they're completely customizable by you and they're going to be getting better and better and cooler and cooler as they go on they're going to add games and um they're going to add patterns so you can make your own clothes. So they're really neat. Really want to support them because uh, they it's kind of mixing the whole 3D printer thing that I'm excited about and um, design and gaming avatars and craftiness all together. So that's did, what I wanted to bring. Did you um, give their website address? 
Yes, it's makey.me, M-A-K-I-E dot M-E. And I'll have that up on my um, Rachel Fangirl uh, Facebook page nice. as well. And on All Pinterest. Right. We have Fangirl Mag on Pinterest. Yes, we do. And it's amazing. And you will waste hours of your life just looking at all of the pretty. Truly, you will. So, Ren, what do you have? Well, uh, it sort of spans this week and a bit of last week, but it's the most fantastically exciting thing I've been following lately, which I talked about it before that it was coming up and it happened. I'm so excited. <laughs> I can't even, can't even like fully like talk, describe Spit how cool this is. Okay, so SpaceX, which is the private company building spaceships, launched successfully their rocket and their capsule, and that sucker docked with the International Space Station. Okay, I gotta, I gotta slow back. Okay, last week on the 22nd, last week on Tuesday, the successful launch occurred, and they had actually planned to launch the week prior, but they shut it down because they had some weird readings from one of their engines, so they said, okay, we're just not going to do it, which is smarter than doing it and having it blow up. Um, so they did it on Tuesday. It launched. It was a success. It was the first, uh, well, it wasn't the first successful launch because they'd done test launches before, but this one was, you know, the one they wanted. It was out of, you know, out of the, it's fantastic. I can't even talk. So it launched, the <laughs> rocket is, the rocket is called Falcon 9. So the Falcon 9 rocket is the one that's going to, it's essentially replacing the shuttle as the means of transporting goods. The goods are housed in the Dragon capsule. And the Dragon capsule that they sent up at the moment is the one that, that just is freight. It's just got stuff in it. But there's another Dragon capsule that they're going to do that's going to eventually take people. So it's going to be NASA's primary method of transporting goods and, and astronauts from Earth to the space station. Right now, of course, everything's going through Russia because we have no system in the U.S. to do it except for SpaceX. I don't understand that. Was, now, SpaceX is a private company, correct? It is. It is. Why, why did they do that? Why did they cut the funding to the space program and, and instead decide to give it to public sector? Well, you know, it's, it's certainly under a lot of debate. You know, one of the major reasons is um, it's been a habit of a lot of the... Uh, of, of a lot of the um, administrations of the last 20 years to just slowly chip away at that NASA budget, particularly now in the, you know, the worst economy that we've seen since whatever the crash was in the 80s. But maybe it's worse than the 80s. I don't know. I was, I was born. So, you know, <laughs> they, they're cutting it even more. But some of, the, some of the reason was because the shuttle program was so out of date, so defunct, and so expensive. The question was, do we uh, pile tons of money on NASA to invent something brand new? Or, hey, look at those guys. They're totally already doing it. Like, this is, and this isn't a bad thing either. I mean, yes, I strongly believe the U.S. needs a robust and, um, you know, independent, uh, enabled uh, space exploration program. We need that. We need that going and working and doing great things. But to kind of handshake some of these basic services into the, the um, private sector is a cool idea too. Because, you know, what, what, is, what do we all learn in elementary school drives economies but competition? I mean, this not right now it's not competition because they're working in, in cooperation. But you still have more than one entity Attempting the same things with different ideas, different way, you know, methods. You start to get um, comparing and contrasting methods of, of building and, and doing this work that's entirely new. I mean, it's all forging into areas that we've never forged into before. Everybody, everything that NASA's doing and everything SpaceX is doing is nothing anybody's ever done before. That's their whole industry. So well, it's great I guess to it's, have more than... I'm rambling. I'm sorry. I'm so excited. But, well, I was going to say that it's... It sounds like, in one way, I, I can't get my mind around the fact that the government doesn't really have a shuttle program anymore because I grew up with that happening. And, and that was the big thing. You know, we're going to the stars. Well, but now we're going, it looks like this is like the kick in the pants that we're going to have to an industry of space travel. And, mm -hmm. you know, private sector has more money at its disposal now than the government, which is kind of scary, well, but true. Yeah, I mean, not and abilities that you can really get know. more funding in there. You know? Yeah, I mean, the 
I, you know, I, I don't really know what the money is behind either of these two entities. I know that obviously SpaceX has enough money to be doing this. The guy, Elon Musk, it, it created PayPal, for flip's sake. I mean, he's richer than God. So he's doing this and he's really excited about it. But it's just, it's, it's tremendously exciting for me because I, de- I'm, I completely see this as a firm foot inside that exploring our solar system world. You know, the, NASA is spectacular, but as long as it's still kind of an unreachable government program and we, you know, it just yeah. seems like a t- totally different world when it's a company like any other company. I mean, that's like everything you've ever read of, about in, in science fiction, when, when space travel is so, so mundane and so humdrum that it's like a taxi service. I mean, you know, that kind of moving of it from the, uh, the mysterious realm of government programs into the step down of, of public sector. I love that. I love that. Anyway, I- I'm getting off topic because they launched on Tuesday last week, successful launch. Um, the capsule, the Dragon capsule, made a couple of passes past the uh, the space station, and on Friday it got captured by the space station's robotic arm, and they pulled that bad boy in, and it had a whole bunch of really cool stuff on it. I mean, it had food and supplies for them, of course. It also had the ashes of some very important people who had paid to have their ashes ashes shot into space, including Scotty from the original Star Trek. James Doohan, yeah. Yes. I, I read so, about that, so that's awesome. So Scotty yes. is in space forever. Scotty is in space, good man. I will do that myself, actually. That's my plan. That's um, awesome. So it got pulled in, and the astronauts were tweeting away. They were like, this thing is freaking cool. It had blue LED lights. They said it smelled like a new car. I mean, it's just crazy. <laughs> it was in space, no one can hear you for breeze. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastically cool. So they were done. They've unloaded it. They're done with it. And now tomorrow morning at 8 something a.m. Pacific time, it's due to make planet fall uh, in the ocean off of Southern California. So, I mean, if as long as that last step goes without a hitch, this will be a 100 percent successful um, first delivery of goods by a private you know, by a private sector company to the International Space Station. SpaceX has big plans. This is only step one. This is the tip of the iceberg. They have, you should go to their website or, or follow them on Twitter or Facebook because occasionally uh, th- that guy Elon Musk will talk about stuff he wants to do with this company, including things like, I'm fairly certain, and, and I may be thinking of somebody else, but I'm fairly certain he was talking about going out and getting an asteroid. Oh, that's, we- uh, yeah, that I think... It- was that's that SpaceX or that, somebody else? I think that's somebody else, unless he is partnering that somehow with because anyway. uh, that's yeah. the thing that um, uh, what's his name? James Cameron's doing. That's right. It was something I read about. Oh man, that guy's nuts. He's absolutely okay. Whatever. James Cameron. <laughs> okay. But anyway, that's that's my weekend geek. Terribly exciting. I mean, <laughs> it's 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 off the hook as far as wanting to see science fiction in reality. This is it. This is freaking it. Okay, so my, mine is not nearly as, as exciting. Well, yes, it is. Screw that. It is as exciting because my Weekend Geek is, of course, talking about Game of Thrones. Because Game of Thrones had... <laughs> it was as exciting as that. <laughs> Game of Thrones had one of the biggest, most badass episodes it has ever had. And it was actually written by George R.R. R. Martin... And Rachel and I are going to blows over this episode because apparently he was not happy with it. Um, but I was ecstatic. It had a 15% more budget thanks to HBO because they demanded it. And they um, also had Neil Marshall directing it. And it was the, ba- the um, Battle of Blackwater and it was amazing. They had um, <clears throat> explosions, uh heads getting lopped off halfway down just all kinds of craziness going on uh Tyrion got to be a somewhat of a badass um that but we not as badass be. as he was in the book well and that's the point of contention but my thing is and this is this is um what I'm I'm arguing with Rachel about which is the fact that the man who wrote the book wrote this episode yeah and- I think that he wrote this. Well, it, it, let it me makes tell you what I liked. Sense. Let me tell you what I liked about the episode. Um, one, we haven't seen any good action in a long time on this show, so I think part of what everyone was really excited about was there was actually some action happening. Um, they set it at night, in or unlike the books, 
um, in order to use to better affect the mage fire. However, that's my first point of contention. One of the best things in this in the book, and maybe it was probably done for budget reasons and also because it doesn't look as spectacular as the mage fire, is that Tyrion found out that his son was or his nephew is about to dump all this stupid fire on everyone and thought, well, that's stupid. They're in boats. Like this, this is not going to work. Um, so he actually had them stop make the stop make. Um, making the fire and have them start to construct a giant chain that goes across. They sink it underwater. So when all the boats come in and they start to shoot this fire out to the boats, the chain comes up, takes out a bunch of boats, locks everybody in. So now everything has to burn. They can't leave. They can't get away. And so that's the first kind of undermining um, Tyrion's role in this that I have a, another problem with. Uh, okay, I haven't now, now. I'm interjecting, interjection. I haven't read the books all the way through. I've only had by halfway through the second book, but I can tell you after hearing that, that is retarded. It <laughs> makes no sense. I don't. I. That's just. We build a giant chain and put it out in the water and clothesline the ships. Pretty okay. much. Yeah, that makes no that makes no sense and would take way too long. Well, and that's why they didn't do it for the series. It actually is pretty epic in the books, and what it how it causes the battle to change is pretty epic. And they the fire and all that happens about halfway through the battle to turn the tide, instead of the problem in this in this to my to my thinking as a viewer is that they do this big cool explosion it's much better tv to have it on fire and have it at night and all that um but then there's nowhere that you've already hit your climax of the battle right because that's the most exciting thing that's going to happen in this battle now the second thing that they did in the show that they didn't do in the book that i loved was um loris they have a badass gay man come in and save the day. And that's pretty awesome. I thought that was a cool way to really work that in. Yeah, um, and for five seconds, I thought that was Jamie. And I, I was like, oh, oh, there's what he, oh, no, it's not him. <laughs> so, yeah, and I think part of that's another thing that is, is difficult is people won't recognize that because there are so many characters. I don't know that that came across the impact that I felt when I saw him. Um, and then finally... And this, again, was done for, well, there, there's two things that I thought was, were really done for the TV audience that um, were turning points in the book. One is, I understand that it's really hard to do and wear prosthetic makeup and that level of special effect. But, like, uh, Tyrion, he, he gets his nose chopped off. <laughs> I mean, he gets seriously... And it's done in, in betrayal. It isn't done by the enemy. It's done in this kind of crazy... Well, it's kind of done by the enemy. But it, he definitely is set up to be killed and it comes off. There's this huge um, uh, Lannister in fight that doesn't really happen. Um, and then when the, the um, dog goes up to see San Sansa... He goes up there, and she's actually been all along in the books planning her own escape, which there's no time to put into the show and give her any kind of strength of moral character at all. And so the dog is in love with her, and he goes up there, and he tries to convince her, and he kisses her. And it's a huge, pivotal character moment for him and for her as far as where their characters are going to go from there. So those are my main criticisms. I take it the dog is not an actual dog. Coming from someone who's never watched the show. No, no, no. Okay. He's this big, He's giant, big. burned man. <laughs> no, yeah. I just, just listening to everything you just said, having never watched the show or read the books, it just sounds like the weirdest thing I have ever seen or haven't seen. Well, you would probably I, like it. It's better than the books by quite a bit. The show yeah. is? Yes, it is. Yeah, better than the books. He's fixed a lot of the rambling and they've Ooh. fixed a lot of the plot holes. In the book. Um, yeah. But this is from a person who I love reading and I 
I really have to make myself read those books. They're a chore because they're they're about the size of a brick mm. a piece. And um they the characters the like Rachel different. said, the the characters actually what the, which chapter um each chapter that is in the book it has the name of the character it's going to focus on at the start so you know who you're reading about that's how many characters are in these oh my gosh it's they're they're great novels i mean i really enjoy them but they're you have to be con, you know committed and like i was trying to read the second book before this season got you know even started and i couldn't do it it, it helps just, to watch the TV series because you can put kind of faces with names and that helps because there's so many, there's probably three times the characters in the books that there are in the series. And, um, but you know, they've done some great things in that George R. Martin, in my opinion, does not write women very well. He kind of has a, um, a Terry Brooks problem or a, um, uh, what is not Terry Brooks so much. Terry Brooks does all right. Uh, what's the guy who wrote wheel of time? Oh, Robert. Not, not, oh, Robert oh, Heinlein. I don't know why I'm blanking on his no, name. I read all those books. Wheel but anyway, time? Yeah, but anyway, uh, in that, the, the women character, the more he tries to make them deep, the more they're not deep at all. And in the show, they fixed that. Cersei was, to me, the highlight of this Oh, her being, episode. her getting drunk and giving life lessons to Sansa is. Well, that actress is just amazeball. She's brought so much to this character. I feel like they're writing just to see how much depth and range she can put in this character. Yeah, her bitter life Lena. lessons. Yeah, yeah Lena Hetty. She's she's amazing. I I really enjoy her. I really enjoyed her in this, and I really enjoy her and Peter Dinklage. Just you know, he actually loves his sister, but he also hates her, and because she really despises him but they're still brother and sister and and they play that really well um but i i enjoy i absolutely love this episode i thought it was great um the the i've talked to people who haven't read the books didn't know really suspected that Tyrion died in that scene how it was played out the music was great and and the the scene itself was filmed in such a way that it really did kind of set it up. Like, if you didn't know that Tyrion makes it through all the books as far as right. I know, you would have thought that that was it. He was gone. Done. Well, and, but, and I, I think that they gave him some good action. And it's not normal. You don't normally see actors who are also dwarfs get to do some really awesome action. And I liked that. But I didn't feel like it was enough. I wanted to see more Tyrion fighting. I wanted more, you know. Well, drama. you know, and how they've how Dinklage has created his character is excellent because he's he he has to take it upon himself to do this, especially in this episode because Joffrey is his usual prick of a self and heads off and hides because mommy called to him as an excuse. Oh, my mother needs me. And uh, props to that actor. He's great, too. I absolutely hate his character, and, and that's what you're, what you're supposed to do. Too. You're supposed to do. Um, but, uh, like I said, Dinklage, he's created this reluctant hero type of a character, and it's even better because of his size that he's the strongest character in the show. He has to be. And, by the way, if you haven't gotten it yet, you should totally pick up the new issue of Rolling Stone with mm -hmm. Peter Dinklage on the cover. Great not only cover. because yeah, not only because of the shirtless Dinklage on a horse. <laughs> but because it's a great interview and, and article with about him and it gives you insight into where how how he got to where he is now and and the the strength of the man himself in getting there and sticking to his convictions and um, the fact that, you know, he's married to his wife for uh, have, they've been married for a while and absolutely loves her they have a baby just a great couple and and he's apparently a complete flirt <laughs> even and she knows this and she's like you know the girls are, are late to the game because i always knew my man was sexy <laughs> so you know yeah hello i knew that when i saw him in tiptoes way a long time ago when he was the drunken russian i think he was russian uh dwarf that gets it on with um 
Yeah, with a medium kick. Yeah. So, but it's it's his it's his throwing the fit and living in oblivion that did it for me. It was awesome. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's one of those things where there are certain concessions you have to make for the fact that you're watching it on television, right? And so they have to make it bigger. I think my biggest problem is that they kind of um, they they the the battle climax is right at the beginning, and then there's not a lot left to I mean there's there's character development there's all that good stuff but if they were going to do all the fire and do the stuff they should have done it midway through to towards the end a little more in order you know to build that because after that we're like okay well now what's going to happen because they had in the the book you have middle of it the chain comes up then towards the end of it here comes this fire now they can't escape you know but then and, you wouldn't um, have had that great opportunity for him to say that awesome line of "There's brave men outside that the doors." Let's yeah, go kill them. No, he still has that speech. I it just happened. I at loved a how it. Time. Well, how they did it, I thought was great, and I loved that. You know, the shock and awe factor of when they did the fire. They they'd had to do it then. There was no other time for them to do it. I know, and, but, then and that, they, but then they didn't go anywhere particularly exciting with the rest. I mean, I understand the story developed and, you know, I'm not oh, saying it was bad. Was, to- I, I love the battle. I thought the battle was, was awesome. Yeah. And I, and I'm not saying it was like bad or I, I didn't like it or anything like that. I just thought it was, I, I expected more because they brought so much more to it this whole time. Um, that I kind of thought, ooh, this is going to be, you know, light years ahead. And I thought it was good, but I wasn't as wowed as I expected to be. And maybe that's my my problem. My expectations were really high. I think, you, yeah, I mean, this isn't Lord of the Rings. I mean, they don't have the the massive budget. This was... This was HBO giving them even more money to do what they well, were able to do with this. I think this. it was the pacing. I don't think it was because, I mean, that was an impressive explosion. It was really cool. But I just think the pacing I, got me all excited right away. And then there was nowhere to go, you know. I, I absolutely love the fighting with the swords and everything. I mean, about time we actually got a good battle like that. And I, that's where we're going to have a point of contention on it because... I absolutely love that part. It's a it's a sword and and somewhat sorcery series, well, and and we finally got it, and that's why I absolutely enjoyed it. I loved the, the gore. I mean, it was spot on, awesome. I the the first time you see Tyrion take down a guy, he cuts his leg off, which yeah, was great. yeah, it's great. And and then you had just you know Stannis killing things right and left and freaking out and. I, I absolutely enjoyed it, uh, and I know a lot of other people were blown away by it, and a lot of people consider it the best episode of the season. Oh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll agree to that. Yeah. But I don't so, think that's saying <laughs> Wow. And with that, I guess we'll move along to our discussion of the night, being that this is discussion about a literary adaptation, which, as we said, we um, that episode was actually written by the author, which is rare. You know, that, nah, that doesn't always happen. Um, so I thought that was a pretty interesting thing. And then you had Neil Marshall directing it, who's a uh, spot-on director. Um, but what, what I wanted to bring up, which kind of goes into the Week in Geek 2 that was announced this week, is the fact that we're not only going to have one Silence of the Lamb-based TV series this season coming upcoming. We're going to have two. Seriously? Uh, and so, and and I'm very concerned because the <laughs> second one is going to be on the Lifetime Network, and it's going to be about Clarice Starling. Oh my God! Uh. So the li- <laughs> yeah, thank you. Let us all groan, and, and maybe so she'll bad. have, maybe she'll have a, an uh, a adopted son that was um, kidnapped by his um, uh, foreign father to another land that she needs to go and bring him back. Meanwhile, she's battling alcoholism. I, I don't know. Yes. That sounds like what you know. That, the, that sounds like what lifetime will do to her. And the boy is uh, the boy will be autistic. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> because there has to be something wrong with the child. Yes, and yeah, something tragic. Uh, 
Yeah. yeah and, and someone's going to get raped. I mean, that's, oh, good that's a lifetime movie of the week right there. Yes. But anyway, they're going to have the series. It's called Clarice. Of course. This is horrible. And, oh, and uh, ghostly Amanda <laughs> adds something that's totally true. He will be a psychic. Yes. The kid will be a psychic. No, it, I, I don't understand why they need this. I don't understand um, why we need two series. Um, I, I really don't get it. Uh, I, I'm worried because Lifetime isn't known for having quality programming, um, at least to my way of thinking of it, especially something like this. Uh, like we need another FBI, CSI type of show, which you know the it's going to be. Paranormal procedural crossover is what I call them. I, I, there, but that's the I thing. That was with, called Supernatural, and it was really good. But this doesn't that, sound like that. <laughs> no, super, no, there's but, a gajillion yeah. of them, and you know they all got canceled last season. A gifted man got canceled. The paranormal right. procedurals uh, yeah. are they're they're hard to they're hard to hit the right tone. Well, and this won't be paranormal. That's the whole point of Silence of the Lambs and those it's books. Not. He's not, but. I, I I am leaning towards what you guys are thinking, which is they'll have to do something goofy to it. Um, the the one that I am excited about, yet they have not told us um, who is going to be playing Hannibal is the Hannibal series on NBC. I'm leery, though, because NBC hasn't always been kind to anything that smacked of horror. Right. Point being, you know, well, fear itself. So how much can they really give get away with? Fans? Yeah, and right. NBC particularly has the shortest rope to give anybody right now. Yeah, yeah. struggling. And, and but they've already cast. They, I don't even think it's going to be um, Will, the um, character from you know Red Dragon, uh, Will Graham. I don't think it's even going to be him. They haven't even really named him. I don't believe they just call him the FBI guy. Um, but they have not cast Hannibal and they're already talking about the show so I'm my my money is on John Sim I've said this before I want John Sim to play a young Anthony Hopkins he's perfect I would, I would watch John Sim do anything I I would as well but I think he could nail this I, I really really do but they have not cast him yet and God, I hope they don't young it up because he really does need to be about that John Sim age group, like late 30s, mm-hmm. um, early 40s. And he's supposed to be sort of a um, a mentor to, I'm going to call him Will Graham, even though they haven't said that's who it is, uh, to Will Graham during this time. And so it's going to be sort of very, it's actually going to be very Dexter, which is he's going to be killing people while Will Graham is investigating other murders. Except for part of the problem is that Dexter works because it's on Showtime. Well, and Dexter's also original literary adaptation. Yeah. And they, they, it works, yes, you're right, because it's on Showtime, they're allowed more freedom, they're allowed to give a full hour to what's going on in each episode. Is this so, a half hour show? No, but it's network, which means so there'd oh, be oh, oh, minutes oh, oh. of it. Minutes, be, yeah. yeah. Right. 15, Says 20 the minutes girl who doesn't have cable. Right, so 15, 20 minutes of it's going to be commercials, and, but they'll probably, depending on how many, you know, they're doing these half seasons now, you're going to have, you know, 12 episodes, 20, ep- you know, eight, you know, it depends on how many episodes are given. So, and I don't know if they're going to, this is going to be the stuff that happened before Red Dragon, so it's going to be before Lecter was caught. And all of that. So it's going to be telling you that story. And I want to see that. I, so are they I, going to I'm, do it in the time period? Or I, are they going to update it? I don't know. See, that's the other thing. I doubt it's going to be set in the 80s. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know. <laughs> Interest <that> w- dropping. <laughs> right. I was, like, excited. I, I was excited about it at first. And the more I hear about it, the more I'm like, wah, wah. Well, it's NBC. They haven't given that many details yet. Like I said, they haven't even cast their 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 title character this is going to be a weird tv season i have to say though hannibal lecter sherlock holmes maybe doctor who i mean weren't they talking about a doctor who they're talking about a doctor who t- movie oh that's right still even then this, i think this is going to be weird well they you know almost every genre show 
that came out except for, and I, I guess Grimm got picked up for another season. Yeah, did it? Yeah. Did it? Grimm did, yeah. and, and Once Upon a Dime for sure did. Yeah. Um, but I think everything else died. Yeah. And, and, and you brought up Sherlock. We have to talk about that. Um, right. We already know that we all love the Cumberbatch. Yeah. Oh, is that course. a given? That's a given. Yes. You know, before Cumberbatch... <laughs> There's a question about that? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, no. But before the Cumberbatch came, there was Jeremy Brett. And after yeah. Jeremy Brett, we had um, Richard Roxburgh, who started the Hounds of the Baskervilles. It was awesome. With, with Ian Hart. And, and that was amazing. And that led to um, the second one, which was cast with... Oh, who was in the second one? It was... Oh. It was not, it ended up being Rupert Everett actually had, um, came on. Yeah, Rupert yeah. Everett. Oh, and actually, we have a caller. Don't forget about Basil Rathbone. And no, well, the, he had, he was he in the TV series, though? He was in yes. the films. Yeah. He was well, off well, in the films. Well, he was before Jeremy. Right, that's true. We are do, talking not just TV, even though that seems to be where everything's going. But we do have a caller. Caller, are you there? Yes. Hello. Hi, who, what is your name? My name is Arthur. I'm from Eugene. Arthur, hi, um, and you're a hometown boy. Yeah, yeah, I'm local. <laughs> <laughs> so, Arthur, what would you like to talk about in the way of literary adaptations? We're we're actually talking about Sherlock Holmes right now. Oh, cool. That's a that's, that's a good one. I was I was going to go Lord of the Rings, but I can do a little Sherlock Holmes. I think. Well, and we were I, I like Downey. Oh, you, we well, we were discussing the fact you like Downey. Oh yeah. Oh yes, good. You and I, I think, are the minority on that. Um, yeah. But, <laughs> well, but, uh, I, okay, I like him in context of Guy Ritchie doing his version of Sherlock Holmes, but my, I just don't want it to call it Sherlock Holmes. I I found out that I can actually stomach watching the first movie if I just pretend it has nothing to do with Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Rachel, Rachel, um, I actually get reminded of young Sherlock Holmes, which I thought was a great yes. film. And no one remembers that, but I but like love that film. It has two the creepy, other people. It has the creepy yeah. anima- animated, uh, claymation things shoving themselves into Watson. It's awesome. <laughs> and oh. that sounds like a porn. <laughs> and the, and the Moriarty in that went, um, played Holmes at another point. Anthony, um, gosh, Anthony, Oh, I'm blanking on his last name. But he was, but he was actually um, in the version that Kenneth Johnson did, which was uh, yeah. the one where Holmes came out of Alan hibernation. But, um, but the the thing that we're all concerned about, Arthur, is the fact that we love Johnny Lee Miller, but we are very dubious in the terms of this new series called uh, Baker Street Elementary. He's- Elementary, sorry. To, I thought Baker Street. Have you heard about this? One of the, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, no, actually, I haven't. Let me, let me, let me see if I can. <laughs> oh, I can, we can, I can give you the details. It's basically Johnny Lee Miller is, is a modern Sherlock Holmes solving the uh, modern versions of the novels, crimes, sound familiar, okay. in, in New York with Lucy Liu as Watson. Whoa. <laughs> That was yeah. that was my reaction too, Art. Yeah, I um, no, I, I'm very, not um, as as much as I modern. love yeah, and <laughs> as much as I love Johnny Lee Miller, I'm not down with this at all. I'm not. I'm not. I'm so not down with it. I'm like floating above it. It is so not cool with me. Well, they actually have. Um, I think I posted it on Fangirl, and if not, I will rectify that tonight. They do have footage from the pilot. That seriously? they released, yes, and um, it seriously looks off, so Ooh. off. And Johnny Lee Miller doesn't look comfortable playing yeah. this character, and um, I don't know if it's because, and that's something because he's a very good actor. Uh, I, I want to segue from Johnny Lee Miller to Benedict Cumberbatch in this new Hobbit movie. It <laughs> works in well, my head. They're both homes. It works in my head. It's true. Um, so, Art, let's hear what you have to say about the Lord of the Rings trilogy. 
Oh, oh, I, that's, um, I would probably talk way too long about that. I'm going to just kind of keep going with what you guys are doing, and we're sliding towards it because she's talking about The Hobbit, so that's cool. I'm going to stick with what you guys are going. Okay, well, we're well, very excited about The Hobbit. Well, I'm not. <laughs> I am. Oh, well, I, I, am, I am excited about The Hobbit, um, but let's, let's, hear, let's hear what you guys have to say, and then I'll, I'll give you my two cents. My, my uh, big problem right off the bat with The Hobbit, and I'm excited because I will take Lord of the Rings in any permutation, no matter how they mess it up, no matter what they do, good or bad, I will take it because I am gasping <laughs> for good fantasy. But The Hobbit is intrinsically a children's book written in a much simpler style with a very kind of gentle, rambling tone to it and they the previews look awesome but it's not the hobbit and i think patrick rothfuss on his blog really talked about this really well about how no matter how good they make it it's going to mar your perception and this is the truth i think with a lot of any kind of adaptation it's going to mar your perception of the story and um make it a little less shiny somehow and so i think making it kind of this big action cgi extravaganza i'm, I'm having trouble reconciling it to be honest so are you sure that it's going to be a big action cgi for extravaganza i mean of course they're going to pick out the most spectacular scenes to put in the trailers but i mean because and and that's the, what you've just said is also true of the lord of the rings trilogy if i reread the books which i have done since they've come out i can't help but see um Viggo Mortensen as Aragorn from now on. I mean, that's just in my brain. Um, so that's going to inevitably. Pardon? Best casting in the movie. Yes, that was the best casting. Uh, you know, but <laughs> but that's going to happen with The Hobbit too. And from now on, when I, I when I read it, I'm probably going to see um, um, Martin. What's his name? Martin Freeman. Oh, Martin Freeman. I love Martin Freeman. I I I'm reading it right now, and I'm actually st- seeing Martin Freeman now. So even before I've seen the film, I'm still seeing Martin Freeman. But I mean, so I don't think that that's, that's going to be a detractor. If, if, they, if they turned it into a huge action... But honestly, though, it is a huge action sequence. I mean, really, I'm up to the point where they've just gotten out of the forest, and it's just like one ordeal after another. There's no giant arc I, of a plot. I There's just, he- like, crap happens in the woods, and then more crap happens in the woods, and then crap happens in the elven well, you know, dungeon. I think the, then- biggest <laughs> thing that is, the biggest thing that's going to be hard for me to reconcile because it's hard for me to reconcile in the books is in the hobbit there's all these elves and the elves are really happy and the elves have all these extreme emotions because the whole idea is that they feel everything deeper than everything else and they're kind of silly and slapsticky a little bit in the hobbit and then lord of the rings he's developed this to they they feel everything so deeply that they're like you know, stoic but on the outside. But, but uh, hang on, there's all different it, elves. You have the it, you have the the Lothlorien elves are just that, but they're kind of the highest elves. They're the closest to the elves that were from the other you know continent. If you've ever read the Silmarillion, that would be attached to no. Rivendell. They're not the yeah, well, same wood elves. The Rivendell elves are are definitely silly, but that's because they live in a tiny little house all together, and that's like Big Brother, and that's creepy. The, the <laughs> elves in the dark forest are mean, and it's because they live in a dark forest, and they're mean. Well, and I actually want to interject here with the fact that he cut out freaking Tom Bombadil, thank God. So I don't think you're going to have a lot of slapsticky crap unless for some ungodly reason he decides to put Tom Bombadil in The Hobbit. What I'm saying is one of the things that I love about The Hobbit as a book is that it's a children's book and it has that kind of silliness to it sometimes. And it's still a great adventure story. I'm not saying that there's no cause to have a badass dragon or any of that, but it's... I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those things where you're just going to have to go in and say, okay, this is a Lord of the Rings movie. I'm not going to attach it to my feelings about The Hobbit. Well, and also they've tre- they've stretched it into two two they parts. And we're going to get what I'm going to gather from this is it's going to be a lot like the um the Fellowship of the Ring, the first one which actually did have, you know, Merry and Pippin brought that that slapsticky element to it you know you had um you had Gandalf getting stoned with um Frodo base <laughs> or actually uh, Bilbo <laughs> you know with the the leaf and blowing smoke dragons and and all that stuff but then you know he gave a good balance and I think that the Hobbit actually has dark parts in it for sure I mean sure. there e- even if it is a children's book so is freaking Charlotte's Web 
and you can't, you know, but and so is. I, I think it's a matter. Well, I think it's supposed of to be a progression. Exactly, right. I, I, and I think that's I, I think, what he's, I think he's bringing you from the Hobbit into the Lord of the Rings, and that's why the Fellowship at the beginning has that kind of same element to it because he's just trying to bring you into the more serious parts of the war and what's going on and why the elves are leaving and everything. Right, I and I the other thing is just managing the expectation for me because I'm going to enjoy the hell out of the Hobbit. I'm not saying it looks bad or it looks stupid or I'm not going to see it. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm just saying that my initial reaction is I don't. I, I have to kind of step back and be like, okay, you know, and I, and that's true for most adaptations that I watch. It's very infrequent that something grabs me and makes me really um, happy. It's just like I was really excited about the um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy movie. Oh. And then when it came back and the, the previews looked great and I thought the casting looked great. And then it came out and I was like, somebody I was actually totally going to touch on that because Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is one of my favorite series of all time and I was going to say that that movie that came out a few years ago as much as I love Sam Rockwell that man is, mm-hmm. a, he was is awesome. a gem as much as I love him and he probably did the best uh, that he possibly could have done with Safe on Beeblebrox that is how you do not do an adaptation Yeah, it was horrible uh, well, and, but I really want to ask Arthur something because I I know that Arthur has a particular some opinions about the Lord of the Rings. Before we before we move off that, because I do want to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide, um, Arthur thinks you know if I if I say that Hitchhiker's Guide is the way you do not do an adaptation, would I be correct, Art, in saying that you ag- ag- agree that that's not how you did the, do the Lord of the Rings? I would definitely agree with that. Uh, because so I think they should have done six movies. Six movies. You're mental. Isn't that I called honestly, like, what extended ver- extended versions are for though? Uh, oh. Extra content is really killing like movies and movie releases because they don't give you like you know it's, it's kind of like downloadable content for video games. They just don't give you what you want at the beginning. They're like, oh, you got to pay more for that later. I don't know. I well, think uh, no, I think no, if I they think had that's... done six movies, they still could have had plenty of um, extra content. They could have done six movies worth of material for what they packed into those special editions, but you've got to, the the problem there is the studio. The studio wants all their money now, and then you can, and then you can go in and get the extra, because they know the fans, much like Lucas has done, will pay the money for all of this extra stuff. But, um, maybe if Harry Potter had come out first, they would have seen the benefit of making it. Just a shite ton of movies, <laughs> like yeah, making tons of money true. off of it. This but. is true, and we haven't even touched—we <laughs> haven't even touched on Harry Potter yet. But Ren, I know we're actually getting close to our cutoff time, but I want you to have your opportunity to talk about Hitchhiker's Guide because the miniseries was amazing, and that's how you do Hitchhiker's Guide to me forever. Well, be that miniseries. Hitchhiker's Guide has an incredible—it's—it's—it's um, <laughs> it's funny. I just thought of comparing it to the Doctor because every time you see it, it's a little bit different. My first introduction to the Hitchhiker's Guide was actually the old radio play done by the BBC. My dad taped it off the radio onto cassette tapes, and I listened to them over and over and over and over and over again to the point where I can, to this day, quote, huge sections of it still. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and it was brilliant. And then I found the books and I read them, and they were slightly different, more than slightly different. The plot, whole plot lines changed. And that's different from... The strange little, you know, the miniseries you were talking about. There's also a really bad movie they made where Zaphod's extra head is a mannequin head, like taped <laughs> to his shirt. It's fantastic, yeah. and and that is largely it wasn't it wasn't on accident. It really was on purpose. Douglas Adams actually sort of did that. He just mm-hmm. wanted it to be slightly different in every incarnation. And he, though he was involved in this most recent film, and he died shortly after, shortly before it was completely finished. I know that he had his hand in the in the changes that were made to the plot. I still feel like the the biggest downfall in that one, and in in other stories this shouldn't matter, but for this story, it's so quintessentially British. It needed to stay that way, and I don't just mean the accents of the players. There was there's a sensibility about it. the The well, way that Arthur. The way that Arthur reacts to everything that accosts his eyes and ears and senses is so incredibly British, you can't help as an audience member but to react to everything in the same way. And we were presented with all this bombast, but we weren't given... There was 
We weren't given There's, the British sensibilities to respond to them with. I it's just have to. It's a problem when you have um, Martin Freeman and Zaphod Beeblebrox who were really well cast, and you have opposite them Most Def and Zoe Deschanel. I oh loved Most Def. I loved Most like, Def. I hated Zoe Deschanel. But I see, liked Most Def. You can't take a character. My problem was not even that he was black, because I don't have a problem with that. Still make him ginger. He has to be ginger. He's Ford Prefect. Well, I love the true. fact that Martin Freeman's in three of the things we're talking about, by the way. I think that's hilarious. <laughs> no, I just, I just felt like it was too, it went down too weird of a road. Um, I, I didn't even like John Malkovich. I thought he was too creepy. Like, there's, there's, no, there's no real menace or malice in Lord of the Rings. The closest you get is the frog star fighters, you know, and they're just giant it's frogs. Like that are you know, so I, it, it was too menacing for me. And I, what I wanted to say about Hitchhiker's Guide is if they were going to attempt it one more time, I really think, of, of all the stuff that we've mentioned, it could very easily and very well adapt itself into an episodic series. And I know this for a fact because those radio show episodes were 30-minute episodics, and they were spectacular. They broke at great points. There was a climax in each episode. You laughed in every single episode, and you followed the story through. The hilarious thing about listening to it in my childhood is my dad had lost, like, the 12th of 13 tapes. So I could always listen to tapes 1 through 11, and then right at the end of the story, I did not know how they got from, like, the climax to the finish. There was a huge gap. I had to get, read the books to figure it out. <laughs> so, did you, <laughs> have you ever seen the miniseries? The miniseries is great. Yeah. I it's think horrible, it's but it's wonderful. Yes, it's I, horrible, Well, it doesn't have it, but it's like, it's like old school who. But yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I absolutely loved it. I loved how they did it. And I loved, you know, they had great casting. And I loved how cheesy um, Zaphod's head looked, even though it was yeah. pretty good for, for that time. But, you know, even and here's, if they the, went- here's the key. Doug Adams died in the middle of the pre-production of this movie, which, you know, it's a, the part where everybody was, was starting to worry about this was be, when he was involved. Originally, they he had brought up Jim Carrey to play Arthur, and everybody was incensed. I mean, it, it started to mess with their funding of the movie and everything. And that so, back when he was making a million a movie. Yeah, and then it ended. Um, but when Doug died, the, the pre-production got scrapped. And so when they started from scratch, he had literally no input other than the extensive crazy notes he'd written for the radio show, the, you know. And that's right. a lot. To, that's a lot to put on a screenwriter and on a director, you know, this this complete vision that people had been enjoying for thirty years. And I want to. I want Adams's brain. Douglas Adams Adams's brain was so incredibly unique. Nobody wrote like that man. Nobody nobody had the humor of that man. I mean, I th- I think any screenwriter trying to adapt anything written by Douglas Adams would be not, not nearly hopeless. Well, Neil Gaiman might be able to pull it off. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, but, but you know, I wanted I, a great version of him with a Stardust, where again you have the graphic novel, which is different yeah. from the book, which is different from the movie, and they're all fan- phenomenal. Um, I wanted to bring up though, um, they did announce that the Dirk Gently series is not happening now. They made that mm-hmm. one episode movie sl- that, that they did, and it's not going anywhere now. So, um, but. That being said, it sounds like we still have a tons more to talk about in regards to this subject. As always, much like Doctor Who, which we'll have to do another episode on at some point because there's we just could do too just much. a Holmes episode sometime with all. Yeah, we, we, could, we did do that. We did already. We could do another one of those. <laughs> but uh, I, I wanted to uh, to thank Art for coming on. Your your last name's not Dent, is it? Oh no, no. <laughs> <laughs> It's, oh, I was just going to say your last name on the air. Don't do that. No, no, no. <laughs> but it relates to someone we were just talking about. Never mind. <laughs> but uh, I wanted to uh, thank you for uh, for joining us today. It's always great when you have callers. So feel free to, to join back in in a later, another episode if there's something you want to call in about. Um, okay, thanks for we, having me. I had a good time. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we love having guests on with us and callers. So thank you for calling. Thanks for having me. No problem. 
And uh, I wanted to say, too, um, something that's uh, great that Rachel and I will be going to see it um, fairly soon. And be sure to go and uh, buy your tickets now, Fathom Events. Um, they are going to have a... Uh, a Frankenstein, the Frankenstein stage play is returning to theaters that starred Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller. Uh, that was done by uh, the director of uh, Slumdog Millionaire, whose name I'm blanking on. I can Danny never remember. Danny Boyle. Thank you. Um, Danny that Boyle is, is my favorite. Uh, he is. He is pretty good at what he does. I will just say that. And also, Benedict Cumberbatch is naked. Uh, oh, did I say that aloud? Yes, I did. How they are doing it, because they are actually going to show both. And this is the thing where you... Yes, I did say that, Amanda. I said that on the air for everyone to and hear. And sometimes it's Johnny Lee Miller, but we're seeing the Benny one because it's... We're me. seeing the Benny one. There's... Uh, they switch the lead actors. So you have Frankenstein, um, the monster, and they will switch. So on the 6th of June, because it is simulcast across the country at theaters, I believe, uh, will be the Benedict Cumberbatch as the monster and Johnny Lee Miller as um, Victor Frankenstein. Then on the 7th, they will switch back. And you really should go check that out. June 6th, you can go to fathomevents.com, I believe is the site, and buy your tickets. They are sort of expensive. They're $15. But you will never see this um, like this ever again. It will not be the same as experiencing it on a big screen with a cast with people with you, as it would be done in a theater setting. Uh, I don't even know if they're going to release this on DVD over here. So, go check that out. It's amazing, and I wanted to thank everybody for uh, joining us. Art, thank you again for coming on and calling in, and always call in if you'd like. We are always here, as you know. And uh, Rachel, Ren, I want to thank you for joining me tonight and being awesome sidekicks because you rock pleasure as always <laughs> and we will see you next week on fangirl radio thanks for listening this is vodka where i come from that's soda pop now this is a drink for a man scotch i i did <laughs> several different accents for gene and uh, he picked the Scottish because the Scots make the best engineers. Scotty, what's our energy status? 93% of impulse power, sir. We can still maneuver. Maneuver? Aye. We can wallow like a garbage scow against a warp-driven starship. Our shields will hold for a few passes, but without the matter-antimatter reactor, we've no chance. I brought some personal experience to Scotty because I was in the Royal Canadian Artillery. I landed at Gino Beach on D-Day, number one off on my boat, and I got shot eight times that day. Captain! Scotty, beam us up fast. I cannot. We have a complete power failure. We're on emergency battery power only. What happened? I can't explain it, sir, but the matter and antimatter are in red zone proximity. Well, the most enjoyable part of the series and the most fun was being Scotty because the fans love him. We're losing power in the warp engines. How bad is it? We can barely read it, but I don't like the looks of it. I have heard from so many fans that they become engineers because of Scotty. I've even received an honorary doctorate in engineering. Full power, Mr. Scott. The relays will reject the overload, Mr. Spock. Then bypass the relays, go to manual control. Do that, we'll burn up the engines. I want full power, Mr. Scott. Aye, sir. All right, you lovelies. Hold together. The fans are wonderful. And once a fan had written to me and I was so concerned about her that I called. I ended up preventing her from 
committing suicide. I saw her many times. You're the sanest, the smartest, the nicest woman that has ever come aboard this ship. Anything else? Anything else, sir? I'll keep to myself for the moment. My biggest contribution to the legacy is treating Star Trek with the respect it deserves. There comes a time when a man finds that he can't fall in love again. He knows that it's time to stop. I don't belong on your ship. I belong on this one. This was my home. Today, since next generation, Scotty is probably just bouncing around in his runabout, looking for things to fix. A good crew. Yeah, they are. And a fine ship, a credit to her name. But I've always found that a ship is only as good as the engineer who takes care of her. And from what I can see, the Enterprise is in good hands. You take care of yourself out there. Aye.